This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Bridget Camera, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Well, Bridget is all the way in Baltimore. And as you all know, listeners, I'm in Sydney. It's such a privilege to have you here. Bridget is a New York Times bestselling author. She writes young adult fantasy and romance novels, including the Curse Breaker series and the Elemental series. Her latest YA novel, Forging Silver into Stars, is an irresistible return to her Curse Breaker series. As I said, she lives and works um, in Baltimore, and we're really, really thrilled to have you here today. We don't talk a lot about um, young adult and fantasy novels for some reason, but when we do, we just love it. It's such an interesting genre to me because if by choice, I'm probably not that reader. And I just wonder sometimes, do you, were you that reader? Is that how you came to writing it? You know, I was. When I was growing up, I read just about anything that I could get my hands on. I absolutely loved portal fantasy. So any anything like Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where they where people from our world were going through a portal into a fantasy world, I just absolutely loved it. You know, I loved anything where you had fantastic creatures, you know, positioned in our world. I loved, you know, vampire stories, stories about witches, about, you know, fairies, the fae, anything along those lines. And I think there's something really accessible about fantasy, especially for teenagers and young adults in exploring themes that might be really prevalent in our world that, you know, that might feel really heavy, you know, like in the United States, like healthcare, you know, or access to healthcare, that when you put it in a fantasy setting might seem a little bit more easy to digest. When you look at you know, a king ruling his people and what duties he has to his people in a fantasy world, it might be a little bit more fun to read about and think about the choices he's making as opposed to reading about, you know, I don't know who's the current president, you know, and what choices is he making? Um, And I, I think that, you know, you can do a lot of things with books in a really subversive way. You can do a lot of things with story. You know, I'd never thought about that. I'd never thought about that because one of my questions to you was going to be, why is fantasy appealing to young people? But I think you've just answered that. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I... Between Forging Silver into Stars, which, you know, involves a world where, you know, the you know, many people are afraid of the king who can wield magic and 
we have two characters who are, you know, basically among the peasant class who are terrified of magic. And they're really kind of ruled by what they hear, you know, from rumor and anecdote. And in my other series that I'm writing right now, I have Defy the Night, where we have a kingdom that's overrun by an illness um, that can only be cured by this very scarce moonflower. And, you know, in that series, I have people who don't trust the king to give them the right doses of medicine. And I made this joke to my editor when I was switching between books. And I said, I guess it's time for me to take a break from this one fantasy series where people don't trust the medicine their government is giving them to switch over to this other series where people are listening to anecdotes and rumor about what's really going on and not trusting the messages from the government. You know, and it's really, it's what we all deal with every day, no, it's right? social media. Media versus COVID, is that right? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And I, I do, I think that's why people are drawn to fantasy, you know, and it's just, it's, it can be escapist and really thoughtful at the same time. Mm-hmm. There is something because it is really growing in popularity so much. I mean, you probably know this, but TikTok as well, because TikTok reaches, because social media reaches yes. that, that medium in particular, reaches such a young audience, that I feel that the fantasy genre is gaining popularity because of escapism. And you're probably right because they're trying to understand the world. Mm-hmm. But also, too, I I think what got COVID has given us and given young people particularly is that passion to come back to reading and to come back to story. I think for a time there when we were all locked up, it was good for reading. Yes, I agree 100%. Mm. So tell me how you came to writing. You know, I loved books when I was a kid. I loved Mm -hmm. to read. You Mm -hmm. know, I, my family moved a lot when I was a child. So I was always the new kid in school. So I always, you know, found my friends in books. Why were you moving? So, you know, it's funny, my, I, I did not have a military family. My, you know, my dad just, you know, had a little bit of wanderlust, I guess. We, you know, just seemed to move every year. And so I was always the new kid. And, you know, so I was always a little bit of an outcast. And I just, I just loved to read. I loved stories. I loved storytelling. I, you know, remember I really started writing some short stories of my own, you know, in middle school. So around, you know, 12 or 13 years old. In high school, I started, you know, I just decided one day, well, I'm going to write a book. And I started writing longhand in notebooks. I have a vivid memory of being around 16 or 17 years old and um, writing. I had pulled out some notebook paper in math class. And my teacher walked right over and snatched up my notebook paper and said, we are in math. You are not writing stories in my class. You know, and I mean, I guess the joke's on her because now this is what I do for a living. (laughs) So you haven't written to her. (laughs) So, no, I just, I really, I love story. I've always loved reading and writing. I want to ask you, what do you think were your biggest influences when you were reading at such a young age? I loved So one of my favorite authors, and I still remember when I was 12 years old, I discovered Christopher Pike. I'm showing my age a little bit here because he was really big in the early 90s. And someone gave me one of his books. I remember I was 12 years old and it was the first time that I had read something that was not like Babysitter's Club or, you know, something like, you know, girly girl. And I was like, whoa, this is 
this is big time. This is a book, right? Mm -hmm. Because Christopher Pike, it's funny to me um, when people say that YA now sometimes is too dark because Christopher Pike would go to some dark places, like very dark. Mm. Um, you know, I think YA has always been very dark. Being a yeah. teenager is dark. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got to feel it. I just want to, just going back to, you know, you starting to think about writing at 12. We, I um, spoke with an Australian author a few years back now called Holly Ringland, and she told me at 12 that she wrote to publishers letting them know that she's going to write a book eventually. That's amazing. <laughs> don't you love that? Yes. <laughs> I just, she's like, I'm coming. I don't know when, but I will be. <laughs> Good for her. I love a person who knows what they want to do at 12. I love that. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So then it's one thing knowing that you want to be a writer. It's one thing knowing that you love story, right, mm-hmm. and you love reading, but it's another thing getting a book published, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, publishing takes a long time. And yeah. sometimes when I do events, especially with teenagers, you know, they'll say, you know, it, it just seems to take a long time to get published. You know, you know, what should I do if it seems to be taking too long? And the answer is really either keep trying or or give up. And I and I hate to make it sound so bleak, but there really is no easy path with writing. You know, it's one of the few things where there's no there's no way to cheat. That's you, so true. There's no there's no way to to kind of fumble through it, you know, because yeah. it is such a collaborative project. I mean, people often talk about writers writing in isolation. And yes, of course that happens. You write at mm-hmm. home and you're or in an office and you write by yourself. But once that book goes to the publisher, there's a team, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I, I do sometimes think that people will compare, especially aspiring authors, will compare their rough draft to a book that is published, a book that they have pulled off the shelf in the library or in the bookstore. And I sometimes don't think people realize how many people have worked on that book that they have, you know, purchased from a bookstore. You know, I write my first draft and then it goes to my editor, who is a developmental editor, and we will do three or four drafts where she will, you know, start, you know, large scale editorial revisions where we will take the story apart in big chunks And then we will go down to really granular stuff where, you know, where we'll start looking at character emotion, you know, line by line in a scene and make sure everything works. And then from there, it's going to go on to a copy editor. Then it's going to go through a production editor. Then it's going to go through a proofreader. And there are just so many people who have their eyes on a book before it gets to that finished copy that it's really hard to take a rough draft and make that comparison to a finished book on the shelf. So I don't ever want aspiring authors to, to make that comparison and think, Oh, I'll I'll never be as good as something on the shelf Mm. because it's because so many other eyes have been on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Okay. So tell me about your first book and how you got that published. Like at the moment that you sat down and thought, Oh, that's it. I'm going to start writing a book or had you been doing it and it just kind of, got to that first book. So what's funny is I remember I was in my 20s and I was a newlywed and I was still, you know, I was tinkering around with stories and um, my husband would play video games and I would sit and like write my stories on the couch next to him. And he was like, you're always writing these stories. Are you ever going to do anything with them? 
So I started researching, you know, how to get published, you know, how to write a query letter, how to find a literary agent. And I very quickly learned that it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of rejection. And that first book that I had written, um, I started, I knew nothing. It was way too long. It was 150,000 words long. Um, I knew nothing really about literary agents. My first query letters, which is what you send out initially, they were too long. I kept getting rejected, rejected, rejected. Um, but I would get the occasional email back that would say, you know, there's there's some promise here. You know, this isn't ready, but, you know, there, you, know you have a good writing voice or, you know, the story's not ready, but, you know, I can I can see some promise, you know, some sparkle under all the tarnish, um, you know, keep trying. And that that was really motivating. That was really mm -hmm. motivating. So I would go back to the drawing board and write another book and get a little closer. Um, and it wasn't really until my third book that I finally had a literary agent who was really interested and it was an adult paranormal romance and it was very loosely based on Greek mythology. It was about the son of the Greek god Apollo who had been exiled from the land of the gods running a music store in downtown Baltimore. And I remember this literary agent had called and wanted to represent me and I was so excited. I remember I drove home from work that day and my husband took me out to dinner and we talked about how you know, we would sell this book for a million dollars and buy a big house and it would be the answer to like all our prayers and dreams and hopes. And, um, you know, and then that book did not sell. So <laughs> You know, I love your husband. I love as, as it happens, as it happens. And, yeah. you know, thank God I didn't quit my job that day yeah. or anything. Yeah. So again, I went back to the drawing board. You know, if, if anyone has gotten this far in this podcast and realized that writing is not a get rich quick scheme in any way, shape or uh. form, I went back to the drawing board, wrote another book. And I had really wanted to write YA because I loved YA. And I started writing this book about these four brothers who could control the elements of earth, air, fire, and water. And my agent really liked it. And that ended up becoming Storm, which was my first published novel. And I remember it was funny. I remember we got to this week in February of 2011, and I had gotten many rejections from publishers on Storm. And I was starting to kind of feel like maybe this just wasn't going to happen. And I had gotten this really brutal rejection from an editor, like just really negative rejection from an editor that my agent had forwarded to me. And I was feeling really sad. And I was driving home from work and I just wanted to stop at the liquor store and get a bottle of wine and drown my sorrows, right? And something in the back of my head said, you know what, you should stop and get a pregnancy test before you dr drink a whole bottle of wine. So, and I don't know what, I don't know what like moments or what, you know, spiritual thing happened that said, you should check because we weren't trying, like not, you know, I had no yeah. idea. And um, so I did. And I found out that night that I was pregnant and we, we had this, we sat down to dinner and I'm like in shock. And I said to my husband, I was like, you know, maybe this is a sign. Maybe I am not meant to be a published author. Maybe I'm just meant to be a mommy. Like maybe, maybe this is just the universe telling me. I'm just meant to be a mom and, and that's okay. Like that is okay. And the next day I got a call with a book deal. 
<laughs> so you found out you were pregnant and you got a book deal within, yes. what, 24 hours? Yes. Wow. That's extraordinary, isn't it? It was amazing, yeah. Yeah, but it it goes to, you know, how hardworking and tenacious you were, right? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. also, I do want to emphasize, again, for anyone who's hung on this long for this story, that it was a very small book deal. Like, it was not, <laughs> I did not quit my job. It took many years to get to that point. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Point. Can I ask you what your job was? I worked in finance. I worked with a team of stockbrokers in the U.S. stock so market. So was that so. left brain, right brain? It very much was, very, very much was, yes. And did you do that deliberately? Did you want to work in something where you weren't in the arts kind of area so that you had that? Not really. Yeah, I I kind of accidentally got into the stock market. I had, you know, taken, um, I had taken a temp job after school, just, um, you know, after getting out of school, um, just because it was the first job that was available that had been offered to me. And, you know, I started as a receptionist and they liked me and hired me on and then put me on this team of stockbrokers and I got my license and just kind of fell in love with it. And that's kind of what I did. Um, That would have been a better get rich plan than the writing plan, right? (laughs) I think that's when your husband should have taken you out to celebrate when you got into that team. (laughs) Did that too. Oh, you did that too. I love that. Okay, so you get your first book published. And what does that do for your writing? Do you think, oh, well, great, I'm on a roll? Or do you then think, okay, how do I get another book? How do I start it and write my second book? Uh, writing that second book after you're published yeah. is terrifying yeah. because suddenly it's different. Suddenly there is pressure. Suddenly there is someone waiting for this book. Mm. Um, and I, you know, now, now I'm you know, 15 books into my career. And I talk to, you know, newer authors a lot who struggle with this, you know, it's, it's loosely called second book syndrome. And I often tell people, you know, you, you need to make sure that you don't think about it as writing to try to get an A for your teacher, because, you know, as humans, we, you know, we go through school and we're like, get it right the first time. Mm. And, and we have to let go of that because mm. now we're writing a book to give to our editor that our editor mm. is going to help us make better. And we have to let go of that pressure thinking it's going to be perfect. That first book you sell often has years of work behind it. Mm. You know, we have all the time in the world to make it perfect before it's sold. 
that mm. second book, you usually have nine months. And do you f- still feel 15 books down the track? Because I, I remember speaking to an author recently and he said to me, I think he was up to book number 20 or something, each time he sits down to start another, it's equally as hard. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. You feel the same? I do. And I think, you know, I, I think I set a challenge for myself to make each book better than the last. Mm. And are you wedded to the genre? You know, not really. Not re- for me, it's always about my characters and I, you know, love putting them in different scenarios. You know, I mm. love fantasy, but I also love contemporary mm. and I also love, you know, paranormal. Yeah. You know, when I do read, you know, having read your book, I always wonder what is their brain like? What is Bridget <laughs> thinking about <laughs> during the day? Because it really is. I mean, you know, and all fiction is that, I'm sure. I'm sure that your, your head is kind of in a story day in, day out, and it's a dreamlike state. But when you're thinking about fantasy, I feel that that's an entirely different level of imagination. I mean, I'm probably a real weirdo inside my head. I yeah. truly <laughs> I think that might be right. <laughs> um, I love the fact that you're connected and you're helping other writers. Tell me how that happens. I just, I am very much a people person and mm. I love helping other people. You know, other people have always helped me and I, I love to give back to other people. I love to connect with others. Mm. You know, I don't know. I, you know, just anytime I see someone who needs help or wants help, I just Mm. try to help out when I can. And other people have been very generous to me. Mm. Um, I'm good friends with Jodi Pico, Jodi Picoult. Oh, wow. Um, lovely. We yeah. love her here. She's got Oh, such, she's, am- yeah. she's so amazing. I yeah. love her. Yeah, yeah. She's really got a big re- a following here. Huge reason. She does. She does. Yeah. I'll tell you, she and I became friends because just before A Curse So Dark and Lonely came out, she sent me a private message on Twitter saying, just out of the blue, saying, hey, Bridget, I'd love to read A Curse So Dark and Lonely. Any chance I can get an early copy? At first, I was like, is what? (laughs) What? Like, is this fake? Is is this real? And my husband was like, someone is messing with you. And I'm like, no, it's a verified account. Like, this is a real... And I took a screenshot and sent it to my editor who called me immediately and said, tell her, yes, tell her, we will call her on the phone and read it out loud. Like whatever <laughs> she wants. Whatever she wants. <laughs> it is lovely. I love to see the community of writers. Um, do you think that the genre is changing itself? Where do you think the genre is In fantasy? Yes. I do think fantasy is starting, especially in YA fantasy, is beginning to skew a little older. And I do sometimes worry about, because I know, I can't speak for Australia, but I know in the U.S., as more and more adult readers read YA fantasy and want more explicit content on the page, I do know that they're, that publishers you know, are giving the reader what they want. And I do think that then when you have 12 and 13 and 14 year old readers who are still reading YA fantasy, they might not want or might not be ready for that explicit content. And I do think that publishers and bookstores and librarians, you know, need to be careful about what books have. And I, when I write, I try to be very, very careful and write any kind of romantic content in a way that if you know what's happening, you know what's happening. But if you don't know what's happening, 
it's not going to have the same impact, if that makes sense. That really makes sense to me. Yeah, I think, and I do think sometimes, you know, in terms of where you're at in in reading, that we could read a book at 15 and then read that book at 30. Yes. And it's entirely different, isn't it? Because you've got another level of understanding, another level of living, another level of experience. Yes. Fantasy is the same, isn't it? Absolutely. Tell me, what does a day look like? Are you a disciplined kind of nine to five kind of writer or are you a when the moment hits me kind of writer? So since I am now a mother of three, I oh, am wow. a <laughs> I am a yanked in all directions kind of writer. I tell people all the time that writing is by far the most invisible job because you know, people see the books, but have no idea the work behind it. And, you know, my husband always jokes, he's like, it's time to go run the Bridget Kemmerer empire, you know, and, um, which is funny, but also kind of true. No. And, you know, I, I do get up, you know, between four 30 and five every morning. Um, and I usually try to scrape out and I, it's crazy. I'm, I'm a crazy early morning person. Um, and I try to scrape out an hour to an hour and a half of writing in the morning before the kids wake up. And I know it sounds nuts, but I like that time because if I can get a good 500 words down in that early morning time, even if my entire day is shot after that, I know that I've gotten some words written because sometimes a day will have, like last Thursday, my entire day was wide open. I had no appointments. I had no calls. I had, you know, no, nothing needed to be done. And I was so excited that I was just going to go to Starbucks and sit and have a coffee and write for five hours. I was just, I was ready. And like 10 minutes after I got to Starbucks, my son's school called and there was a major incident at school and I needed to go and have like two hours of meetings. Everything was fine. It was totally fine, but it was just, it was one of those things where it just, it it just derailed my entire day. And, And those are the kinds of things that happen. So no, there is no, there is no discipline. There is no real routine. There is just mom. I want to know, so when you, when you finish a book, once that book is, you've done all the work with the editors, with that whole process is finished, do you then immediately start writing another or do you take a break? Like what happens, do you take a holiday from writing between each book? So I do have to take a little bit of a break yeah. between books. Mm-hmm. I do. I do. And because the times that I have tried to jump right into a new book, it, it doesn't work. And I fight with the characters and I fight with the writing and it's not there. And I, what happens if I do take a break is I find myself just kind of anxious to start creating again. And then the words just flow. Mm. And it doesn't have to be a long break. You know, it can be two or three weeks, three or four weeks. But if I try to jump back in, like after four or five days, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're out of time, Bridget. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I know. Um, the book is called Forging Silver into Stars. Congratulations. And I have enjoyed our chat very much. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox 
that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.